Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with my lovely co-host Michelle. Hi Michelle. Hi Stephanie. Um, so today uh, Michelle and I are in the studio to talk about an author that who we've both read and very much admire and that author is Jeanette Winterson. So Michelle, you brought um, this topic to the podcast so why don't you start off by introducing Jeanette Winterson as a writer? Yeah, look, I think that a podcast on Jeanette Winterson's long overdue. <laughs> uh, it's been sort of probably more than 25 or so years since she won the Whitbread Prize for her uh, Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. Uh, I think that she's one of those writers who combines both the ability to really write sort of pro- prolifically, mm. but at a high quality and, you know, sort of just in this way that um, I don't think many other writers today uh, manage because I think there's just something incredibly fearless uh, about Winterson's projects. I think she writes in a way that um, is unafraid of flaunting convention, fashion, opinion. Mm. And I think she's such an eloquent speaker with such a phenomenal intellect that it would be remiss of us not to talk about <laughs> somebody who has won, you know, sort of the Whitbread Prize, the Emma Foster Award, Lambda Literary Awards. She has an OBE. Uh, she was in 2016 listed uh, BBC's one of 100 women. Um, top 100 women. Top 100. Yep, yep, the top one, 100 <laughs> women. Um, and, of course, she is... Uh, just a writer who, whenever I pick up one of her books, um, I'm in in a state of pleasure, which I think is the the absolute number one. It's important, um, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what what I like about Jeanette, I like lots of things about Jeanette Winterson, but um, when I was thinking about this podcast on the way here, I was thinking about how many different genres she writes in. Mm. Um, she's not. Um, an author you can kind of pigeonhole as having one style of writing or one particular mode of writing that she usually writes. She'll write, you know, semi-autobiographical things and, and memoir. She'll write really experimental novels. She'll write horror. I remember a few years ago reading um, a book that she wrote for the Hammer Horror series called The Daylight Gate. I think that's the correct title. And that was about the Lancashire witch trials in the 16th or 17th century, rather. Um, she writes... I don't know, funny um, prose. She writes children's books. She writes pretty much in every kind of of way or mode or genre you can imagine. And I was just um, looking um, quickly at her, and I have to confess, her Wikipedia page, (laughs) just to get a sense of her bibliography and what year things were fit together. And the last thing she wrote was actually a book about Christmas, <laughs> which it's is like, yeah, yeah, it's about um, like Christmas recipes and like stories about Christmas, which is so um, almost unexpected from somebody who, who can be so unconventional and bold and radical. And then she turns around and writes a book about like my favorite Christmas recipes, <laughs> it seems, it seems odd, but it's entirely in keeping with the way that she kind of can do anything, I think. Yeah, and and I think that's one of the things that uh, sort of compels the reader through her her books is because although she's taking you places that you think 
can't exist or she's taking you through characters that seem to be some strange uh, contradiction. Uh, her her sort of, um, I, I guess it's, it's her faith in something um, that is kind of very human, mm. um, I, I think always triumphs in, in some way, shape or form. And, and I think in that way, uh, she ends up giving us characters and stories that really quite fundamentally change expectations, mm. um, which to me is what great writers do. I think she has a really overwhelming faith in the power of literature. So the most recent book that I've read by her was, was her memoir, which has the absolutely brilliant title, Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal, um, which was something that her mother actually said to her, and that's where she got that title from. Um, that book is a memoir of her of her life growing up in a very, very conservative Christian household, her mother, her adopted mother, um, who she calls Mrs. Winterson throughout the book, um, is very, very, very um, evangelical Christian. She's very conservative. Um, she does things like she she will run through drills with, with the young Jeanette about how to, re, how to, you know, respond when the apocalypse and the four horsemen of the apocalypse come, like literal four horsemen of the apocalypse come to the town and the world ends and like you have to hide under the stairs and eat beans and all of this sort of thing. Um, and what really saves the young Jeanette in this book is reading and books. And she starts off at the local library because she's not allowed to have novels in the house because novels are sinful. Um, the only book that she's got in the house is Jane Eyre and Mrs. Winterson um, doctors the ending of Jane Eyre so that it looks like Jane marries St. John Rivers and, and goes to be a missionary rather than marries Mr. Rochester. So that's the, and that's the only novel they have in the house. So she goes down to the local library and just starts reading through the novels from like literally from A to Z. Um, and the book is about her experiences growing up. It's about living with this really um, intense um, kind of religious environment. But it's also about literature and the capacity for literature to save her and to and to um, pull her out of her circumstances. And she it's, it's really a book about her love of language, her love of words, her love of literature, the power of literature, what literature can do for you. Um, and so it ends up being quite a celebration, even though it's about what you know when you read it you think oh god what a weird childhood experience it's actually very um i found it very hopeful and very affirming because it's about the value the power of literature to kind of um support her through those things look and and i think uh winterson is is a fabulous speaker for mm, that and yeah i mean she's certainly not uh sort of backward and coming forward no. a, about the degree to which she's still classes herself as a missionary in many respects, which yeah. had been her intended, you know, sort of the in, intended destiny uh, for her to, to sort of go forth and mm. um, find, a, I think she actually says, to find a hot country and, um, you know, <laughs> proselytise. Yeah. Uh, and and so she's, she, she frequently makes allusions to, you know, sort of the, the, the degree to which she is 
and has become the missionary that she was sort of destined to become, but just mm. in terms, but just as a as a, as a sort of a literary, um, a, a literary clergy, I guess, yeah, in, 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 yeah. in many respects. And I think one of the, I think one of the very first books that I read uh, of Winterson was actually Sex in the Cherry. Yeah, which was for me just incredibly funny it was mm. it was this marvelous story which on first reading uh i read as a child again because you you've got you've got the giant the, the the mother is a giant she's 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 hideous it's it's set in 17th century london mm. you, with all of the um with all of the the, the sort of the, the the teeming filth that goes along with that um and she's this immensely um, repugnant creature, but so, so, so fabulous mm. that you love her. And then when you go back and you think through, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the sort of stories that uh, Winterson is, is drawing on in, in order to bring that uh, sort of, um, you, you know, the, to, to bring that sort of character into being in a way that really... Uh, ex- transcends, mm. I guess, in many respects, um, the, the the traditional role of either giant or woman or yeah. ogre or woman because she is she's she's all of those things. She she's ogre. She's this, but she's incredibly um, maternal. There's a uproarious um, sort of sex scene where I think she vers- um, virtually kills somebody um, through sort of suffocating them in her vagina sort of thing. <laughs> so, you know, it's because she is that, that are, those are her dimensions. Yeah. yeah. You know, she, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. She is so enormous and of course um, is left utterly um, cold by the whole sex thing because <laughs> it was, it was just that sort of non event um, which when you sort of go through and, and you think about some of the things that uh, Winterson is, is doing with her writing is she is challenging some of those ideas mm. that we are supposed to be in some respect um, shaping our lives according to, you yeah. know, and, and I think that's, and she's doing it in a way that makes you laugh. Yeah, um, and she brings like that, uh, she has a real comprehensive knowledge of folk and fairy tales and, and um story in all its kind of yeah the bible especially and she brings all of those influences into something like sex and the cherry which i also read many years ago and don't have particularly um strong memory of the plot but i remember absolutely loving it and thinking it was playful and magical and funny and irreverent and and all it's very subversive and but it's also yeah as you say a really fun read which you think how do you do all that in in one book well look and and i i think the way that she introduces this um, sense of the strangeness of of of, of, of the fruit and mm. and you, you know I, I I don't even though it's been a long time since I've read it as well I don't think I'll ever lose that image of of I I, I think it was the the, the pineapple um, that was just so completely um, defamiliarized mm. for me through seeing this as as as, as a strange encounter. Um, and I, and I think the way she deploys the notion of, of, of journey and, and exploration Mm. through her stories, um, and, and funnily enough, um, 
you know, written on the body, which is one of her texts, which I think you definitely talk about as as experimental. Um, the the narrator is is never uh, in any way definitively gendered. Um, there's this sort of um, you know that there's a lot of linguistic play that goes into creating a character that you that to a narrator that you can never actually identify as either male or female. Um, but one of the things that I think I was struck most by was that even though it was the one that was perhaps most um, stationary in terms of staying within, I think, you know, sort of the, the London area, the England area within within a particular time frame, and so many of her stories are so loose in where they'll yeah. move and where they'll go, um, was that there was this incredible sense of of journey through that uh, through that story. And I, I think it's the story that most, for me, that I've read of Winterson's that, that most um, reminded me of Orlando. Um, yeah. In in this way that um, I think through the, the, the picking up of and the sort of the the very sort of enforced uh, interiority of, of of that piece and 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 that uh, sort of intimate narration. Um, was 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 really such a, a tremendous feat, and of course, one of the things that happens uh, too often in feminist literature and with writers who will so um, proudly and loudly, you know, sort of proclaim um, their 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 feminism is that the charge of misandry. Mm-hmm. Um, is is levelled at them. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what what do you think about the way? I quite that... like some ironic misandry. <laughs> I think you know um, the world needs a little bit of that. Um, I, I think well, look, I think it's just a really easy way to take shots at women for writing about things that are of interest to women. Um, it's it's. I think it's a and a refusal. It indicates, I suppose, a refusal to actually meet writers like Winterson where they are at and instead just take shots from the side because they can't actually engage with the ideas and the um, challenges to kind of conventional ways of thinking about gender that that Winterson presents. So I think it's just a, a way of coming at them that negates the actual work that they're doing. And I find it just tiresome and stupid. I mean, there's no one makes these comments about works that are really interested in men and are often really, really misogynist. Um, That doesn't seem to be an issue. But when women write about women and play with gender in a very kind of playful and um, searching, interrogative way, then you get the the cries of misandry. I just think it's tiresome and stupid. Well, (laughs) I think also that, um, especially with a writer like Winterson, you actually can't ignore the fact that misandry is a strategy deliberately evoked because you can't tell me that a writer with mm. such, um, you know, sort of profound, um, you know, sort of knowledge of literature, of, you know, mm. sort of all of the vast bodies of knowledge that, um, you know, sort of Winterson carries with her isn't capable of recognising misandry in her mm. own texts. Mm. So that if it's there, it's doing something. And, and I think that one of the things that can be difficult uh sort of for 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 people to um encountering 
uh, sort of misandry is, is, is often the fact that misandry happens in a, in a context where, in actual fact, misogyny reigns. Yeah, exactly. So, so in, 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 in some... We've had quite a few years of misogyny, yeah. Well, well that's right. <laughs> so it, it actually becomes that strategy and it becomes uh, ironised. Mm. It, it becomes all of those sorts of things so that it's, 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 it's drawing attention to the fact that if you don't like a little bit of jibing, you know, sort of against men, if you don't like worlds where men are portrayed as as ordinary mm. as sort of slightly inferior or greatly inferior or just um, kind of mediocre or, or <laughs> mediocre or just yeah. boring yeah 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 um uninteresting incapable of uh, acting in a way that's interesting mm. well then maybe you you actually need to stop and and think well how often mm. is is that the role that's ascribed the female character or oh, the, the female in the world. And and, and I think yeah. that's where misandry works because we do live in a world that, that is still very much um, sort of upholds... Uh, it, it's not enough just to move on and let everybody be nice to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's not... It, that world is not yet upon us. And, and I think misandry is one of those mm. um, sort of very powerful strategies mm. that sort of allows uh, discomfort to be felt mm. And then the astute reader questions and critiques that. Well, I mean, how many works of literature in the world are there where women are presented in ways that minimise them, that present them as present women as shallow and insignificant and stupid? I mean, All most stories are just yeah. not worth hearing. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. You know, they just para- they just exist in the story to prop up men, or you know, in to use Virginia Woolf's um, great. Um, way of phrasing this from um, a room of one's own. She talks about how women have just been um, have just existed to reflect back um, men at themselves twice their size. <laughs> um, so that's yeah. I mean, we've got thousands of years of writing in which women are treated in that way. So if we have a few texts in which men don't come off all that well, then so be it. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the um, one of the one of the books that I, I read most recently was actually Wait, mm. which was uh, Winterson's retelling of um, the Atlas myth, and it was part. You know, she was invited to to write for a particular um, mm. sort of series by by Canongate, and I, I, I think that that's the the, the 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 sort of the measure of the the writer mm. who isn't uh, sort of producing. Uh, just what they want to produce, but is actually able to produce mm. on demand. Mm. Um, and of course, Atwood's yeah, she does that. that as well. there, yeah. there are lots of lots of writers who do it brilliantly. Ali Smith, you know, mm. but but um, you, you sort of in in this particular story, um, what you get is this 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 really um, sort of beautiful uh, introspective Atlas who uh, sort of has to actually come to to understand that um, the weight that he's carrying around is in in many respects the weight that he himself has um, generated for himself through mm. through through memory and through um, history and the stories and and the burdens and and etc um, which is, is 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 told with with such um, you know, it's it's told with such 
warmth and feeling and and then just imaginative scope um you you know the the moment at which with 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 i think an unfettered imagination mm. is, is what i find because um it's as though anything can happen and it does so i i love the moment um which I think is, is a particularly sort of Winterson moment where the Russian dog, Laika, is actually scooped up and saved by Atlas to become, you know, uh, his, his companion. And uh, that, that sort of uh, willingness to, to, break, um, to break the rules of time and to break the rules of... Which is what myths have already always done, yeah, haven't that's they? Right. Yeah. Y- you know, and, and I think that when... Winterson does that. She always does that with that full acknowledgement that that that's that that the sort of the the, the scientific rules of the universe and and of of um, proportion and um, the, the the physical world uh, have have always um, sort of been discarded in in the imagination and mm. in our ex- but also in our experience of the world. Mm. Um, and so that impossibility of both one and the same time. Um, the the, the the sort of enormous um, godlike characters who are both carrying the earth but then sort of walking on the earth and, yeah you know all, all of those things that you you sort of um, that the, the, the logical part of your brain wants to reject um, or resist suddenly become the the, the, the stuff of of, of um, the imagination in the world that you take on when you pick up a book yeah, and I think she's she's playing there. I, I've also read that, but as again, it was it was years ago that I read that. But what what struck struck me is that she's almost the perfect person to write a book about myth because she is so playful and and experimental. And I think in that book, she really puts her finger on why we need myths yeah. and why we continue to be interested in myths that are thousands of years old and that don't reflect the ways we think about the world anymore, but also do. You know, she she really understands, and I think that's, again, coming perhaps from a religious background, she really understands the power of story and mythology and uh, that sense of, um, you know, it feels sort of vaguely wrong to say this in relation to religion. Um, Magic, because I think, you know, a lot of, you know, thinking about religion is thinking about things that break the boundaries of reality. So I think that she's actually a very well-placed person to think about magical realism and to think about um, that refusal to just stay within the boundaries of kind of conventional realism, I suppose. Well, I I think it's also, you know, that constant... um that constant acknowledgement that in some sense the concerns of what it is to be human have in many respects remained consistent over time mm, that's and right. you yeah. know sort of love betrayal mm. um you know sort of faith and, and I, I i think in that interview that i lis- uh, that i listened to she did she sort of mentioned there are only three endings and and one of them's you know sort of tragedy one of them is forgiveness and what would the third one have been like? Oh, revenge. Mm. And she said, you know, sort of the happy ending is a false one. Yeah, it's 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 a constructed one. It's because 
we're constantly in flux it's it, we don't we keep sort of, going on yeah yeah that so that so so that it's a faux ending and out of the three she sort of said forgiveness is the most interesting um, yeah actually that that ties into um she wrote um another kind of series that she wrote in is the um sh- the Hogarth Shakespeare series which is where a bunch of um contemporary writers um uh, rewrite Shakespeare's uh, plays as novels and she was actually the first from memory she was the first one in the series um, and so she wrote The Gap of Time which was about The Winter's Tale and The Winter's Tale isn't a particularly famous or you know it's one of the Shakespeare's late kind of romances and it's not particularly um, produced often or well known um, but she chose that particular play because it's about a foundling and she says you know as a as an adopted child um, in this house that seem to be so at odds with her kind of spirit or, or whatever um that she felt like a foundling and that play is all about forgiveness and she plays in the gap of time with those ideas of um of time memory um dispossession and ultimately forgiveness and i don't know that i entirely was on board with that novel in the way that i have been on board with other Winterson plays but she is very interested in that idea in the book of how you forgive immense betrayal and immense pain and suffering um, so that is a, a, I think a recurrent theme in her in her work which I think is stretches back to her childhood and all of the sort of autobiographical stuff that she's done but certainly comes out in in the gap of time as one of the key kind of touchstones of her career that idea of forgiveness yeah and and i think in the opening of of atlas uh, of um of weight mm. uh the, the, the opening of it sort of talks about uh sort of how much uh first person how much i yeah you know, dominates her writing. And um, there is that point that it's not about, you know, sort of the I, the he, the she, so much as about the authenticity on the page and what it takes to reach that point yeah. of authenticity. Um, and I, I think that um, one of the things that I'm so conscious about when when reading Winterson is, is the degree to which... Um, you know, there is this sort of uh, almost literary hierarchy which will uh, sort of privilege particular genres, mm. most often over memoir and autobiography, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, that uh, in the instance that uh, Winterson gives in 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 another in a different podcast was was the degree the way that. Uh, when someone like Paul Oster mm. creates a character who runs parallel to his own life, it's called metafiction. Mm. Whereas when a woman does something similar, it's called autobiography, and it's not a value-free um, evaluation in a sense. It's, it, there there yeah. is a hierarchy in play right there. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's um, a really ongoing kind of discussion in discussions of women's literature, the way that women's novels are often read through the lens of their lives and not taken seriously because of it. So I think there are two issues there. The first being that women's literature is often tied to the circumstances of their life. Now, the 
the kind of underlying assumption of that is that you know women are so kind of um self-obsessed or or inwardly focused that the only thing that they're capable of doing is to is to write their you know versions of their life over and over again um so obviously that is a hugely problematic assumption and says a great deal about how we still think about women and still think about women's literature i suppose the second issue there is um this idea that if women do write about their lives and if they are writing kind of autobiographical fiction that therefore it is of limited value it is um again too inwardly focused it's only going to be of of um of interest to other women um it's only going to be a kind of um chaotic outpouring of emotion rather than a kind of crafted literary piece um i don't think that those accusations um are, are leveled often at men's fiction i think that when say somebody like to use the example that um that Jeanette did, um, Paul Oster. I don't necessarily think that when a Paul Oster novel comes out, people pour over, you know, is this a reference to X? Is this a reference to Y? You know, how does this line up with the circumstances of, of their lives? But I think that that impulse still exists when it comes to, to women's writing in a very kind of problematic way. One of the things that fascinates me is the degree to which when those autobiographical traces are found in men's the books of men men's mm. literature it's often a means of mythologizing yeah while when the same thing happens with women it's a means of diminishing their achievement yeah and as you were talking i was thinking of the word diminishing yeah. yeah i think that's true i mean i remember jamie attenberg talking about this recently um so she writes kind of, I actually talked about her in the Best Books of 2017 show because I really liked her book, um, All Grown Up. And I remember her talking about that um, novel in an interview and saying that because she's a woman in her 40s who is single and she's written a book about a woman in her 40s who is single, um, the assumption is that this is just like a diary, um, that it's therefore it was therefore unimportant and trivial because it was a diary. And she said, first of all, that's an assumption that you've made, that I'm writing about myself. I'm not writing about myself. I'm perhaps using, you know, my own experiences and my lived reality as inspiration, but it's not a, a diary. And isn't that really trivialising for, well, for her to be reduced to like, okay, your novel is just like my thoughts on the single life? Think about the kind of cult that builds up around the beat generation. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, that's a sort of mythology, or, or George Orwell, or you know, all or someone of those like Ernest of, Hemingway, even. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Where it's 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 as though this life outside the text enhances both text and author. Yeah, it makes it you know really mysteriously kind of cool, I suppose, in a way. Yeah. yeah, whereas, you, you know, it, it, the same doesn't happen with women. Mm. And you can see there that it, it, it's not one, it, it's not a sort of a, a structural thing so much as, as a sort of a perceptual sort of mm. thing. And I think that it, it feels as though Winterson has contemplated this and, and decided to tackle it on both fronts mm. by, you know, sort of both uh, sort of taking on autobiography and doing it so damn well that it it, it, it gains its own stature mm. so that it ceases to be that lesser genre um, by showing it 
and doing it in this way that I think is, uh, you know, phenomenal. Because when you hear a talk about, say, for example, orange is not the only fruit, while she will not sort of draw, you know, sort of, um, you, you know, I think she talks about not ticking the boxes about what's real and what's not. Yeah. There's, there's no effort to, to sort of diminish or dem- downplay the amount of, um, you know, sort of life that has, uh, you know, sort of generated that story. And, and I think she does that because it's always the case that the real is inflecting the fictions that mm. we read. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And she's doing it in such a way that I think um, she's changing the, the way that we evaluate the category of autobiography, but also by being so playful and by crossing so many boundaries with that eye that carries through to fiction, to memoir, to mm. this, to that. We're really sort of... Um, as readers, forced to think very carefully before we sort of try and pigeonhole anything that she's doing. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think that what's interesting about Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit is is um, it seems on the surface, for those of, of you who don't know it, it seems on the surface to, to be about Jeanette. The main character is called Jeanette. Um, it, it retreads the story of her life in many ways. Um, so it's about a young girl growing up in a very conservative Christian household. Um, she f- discovers her sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, just as, as, as Jeanette's own life unfolded. As you said, she's resisted the urge to go, this is what's real, this is what's made up. But I think what she's doing there is is drawing attention to the fact that all of our kind of autobiographical stories about ourselves are constructed as fictions, that they're, the, the line between fiction and reality is very blurred. And that's not to, and again, that's not to diminish that form of writing or to say that this is just thinly veiled autobiography or something like that. But it's it's to point out that there is actually a very, very ambiguous kind of, line between memoir between novel between any other form of writing that all of these forms blend into each other um and are into and consistently intertwined i remember she says something in orange is not the only fruit about how history is something to be played with um yeah yeah and so she's she's very much interested in that idea of um History is a construction. History is a story. Our lives are constructions. Our lives are a story. How we make sense of our lives, how we make sense of our kind of lives as autobiographies are stories. And so, you know, to say something is autobiographical as a way of kind of diminishing it or suggesting that it's just, um, you know, the outpouring of emotion or catharsis or something is, is to fundamentally misunderstand I think the nature of story and why we use it and, and what role it has in shaping the world for us. Yeah, and, and I think she also locates in the fact that we're such storied beings mm. that in, in a sense we can change the stories that we tell yeah. in a way that mm. if we don't sort of have that understanding of ourself, uh, we can't. Mm. Um, and, and I think uh, what was interesting in, in, in one of the things that she sort of, um, one of the avenues that she was discussing was the difference between faith and fundamentalism. Yes. And in somebody who grew up in a, you know, such a strictly religious environment, she is so uniquely placed to think through um, the faith because she, she says she's not a materialist mm. um, and she'll talk through the very sort of the potentials that are 
open to us when we don't sort of reduce things to, uh, you know, sort of what can be proven or yeah. what can be quantified. Um, but also when there is room for stories to change, which is obviously not something that's part of fundamentalism. Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, even looking at something like Orange is Not the Only Fruit, which was her first novel written very obviously early in her career, um, and looking at something which is very new, which is the memoir, which seems to retread many of the incidents that happen in Orange is Not the Only Fruit. So the memoir, Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal, came out in 2013. So there's, you know, a good 30 years in between um, the writing of these two books. Um, She does go back and kind of reassess not only only the process of writing Orange is Not the Only Fruit, but also goes back and reassesses all of these mythologies about her life that she's built up for herself, the way she's thought about her, her upbringing, the way she's thought about faith, as you say, the way that she's thought about um, her mother um, and, and even her status as a kind of adopted child, a foundling. She goes back and she um, discovers who her, her um, birth parents are and so forth. Um, and so she, it's, a, it's a process of kind of going over the story that she's created for herself in order to make sense of herself and re-excavating that and showing that stories aren't these static kind of things, but they can be reassessed, retold, played with, um, and the way that you tell them, the different ways that you tell them, impacts upon the kind of meaning that you derive from them. So I think she comes to quite a different understanding of, of her family, of her mother, um, through that process of re, retelling their story at the beginning and, and very late in her career. Yeah, and, and I think uh, for me that's one of the things that really makes Winterson one of those exceptional writers Mm. um, is that willingness um, to write what needs to be written in a particular moment and that takes a lot of uh, I think that takes a lot of courage because in that process of writing uh, and when I look at something like um, you know sort of weight or or sexing the cherry or 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 written on the body or sort of in any of the stories that she does is, is you can see that there are moments where she deliberately in invokes um, you know sort of strategies or um, d- deploys sort of characters or any of the number of things that she can do in ways that are distinctly unfashionable, that are distinctly Mm. um, out of mode, that are sort of flaunting uh, readers' expectations by, you know, sort of intruding. You know, she'll intrude. There'll be be that, the the intrusions that she's willing to make um, where she's, she tells you, and I, I think that um, so, you, you know, because there's always an aesthetic of any one era, you yeah. know, that, that's, that's, that's sort of cooler, better, um, deemed more skillful, etc. I'm going to improve upon the, the generation that came before me kind of thing, yeah. I'm not going to tell you everything's going to be shown. I'm, I'm going to uh, knit out, you know, sort of the very sort of writer or author or out of the text and Mm. you know all of those things which are all just ruses they're all just strategies they're all just this and what you can feel in those sort of moments of 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 intrusiveness is is somebody who doesn't care beyond what she has to say Mm. and I think because 
every um, person, and particularly somebody um, as as fiercely intelligent as Winterson, knows that that dates you, it, it, it draws attention to you, all of those sorts of things, but she does it anyway, and that's yeah. what I love. She's very different in, um, in her style, I think, as you say, to the kind of prevailing style of, of a lot of contemporary fiction. It doesn't read like much else that you can find. She has a kind of, I think similarity to Ali Smith in some ways Um, but she doesn't write in the kind of um, popular mode of writing that especially you get out of the creative writing um, workshops in the US Mm. she writes very very differently um, and very idiosyncratically and yes the intrusive narrator and sometimes she'll just stop and almost tell you how to interpret things or tell you the problems with something Mm. in in quite an unexpected way she has this way of being very kind of chatty with you as a reader at times um and then potentially withholding from you as well that I find interesting and she just as you say she doesn't care you know she really you can you can tell that she's not bound up at all in in questions about you know how is this going to be received how am I going to be on the forefront of literary fashion is this going to be the you know hot new book of 20 whatever um she just does what she has to do and that has sometimes meant that she has not struggled to find an audience because she's very very well known but I think sometimes she could be bigger than she is because she just doesn't kind of play by the rules. Absolutely, and because it also means that she gets mixed receptions with mm. books because yeah. she she varies so wildly. So so somebody who is expecting this won't get that. And you um, know, I find that as well with her because I mean, I've read pretty much not everything that she's written, but I've read a lot of what she's written. And even sometimes I don't see it quite well with with her book. Sometimes I've had mixed responses myself to to what she's written and I think that's just because there is no kind of prevailing style or prevailing kind of um tone with her it it does vary and she does have mixed responses and you you know some books of of Jeanette Winterson's I'll pick up and think oh my god this is so amazing she's so clever and then others I'll think "Eh, not quite sure I'm I'm kind of getting what this is doing or I'm not quite in the mind frame for it or something like that and I and I think also because she's not afraid to have you not enjoy her books. Yeah, that's right. I don't think she cares. No. Yeah. Um, and, and yet she does very intensely because you know she wants to reach people. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can feel that, but I. But think... she knows that not everyone's going to reach be reached by every every novel. Yeah, and mm. and I think also she knows that sometimes you reach people by not reaching them. Mm. You know, by saying that actually maybe you're all just getting a little bit pretentious around this area. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> you just need to have a book that just tells you as it is and isn't afraid to tell rather than show and isn't afraid to you know sort of show um not the seams in a sort of a classy metafictive way Mm. but just in in a really profoundly consciously voiced overvoiced because i mean that's the other thing that she does doesn't she 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 overvoices things which is a wonderful thing because it's it's naughty it's it's like going and watching um you know sort of some something that's just you know, it's it's like going and watching an eighties performance now. You know, and you know that it's it's so out, but then it just starts to feel so right, and it makes you challenge, and and realize the degree to which, um, you know, your tastes are actually uh, being um, manufactured. Yeah, and that's why I love that she goes and, and does things to again go back to that horror um, story, uh, novel that she wrote a few years ago. 
I love that because I think that she does have this reputation as being a very heady, very intellectual kind of um, writer. And then she'll turn around and just give you almost a really, really conventional horror novel where she's like, yep, I can do this. You didn't expect it, did you? You were getting all up in my intellectual side, but here's just a, a really well-written but just straight horror. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Yeah, look, mm. I, I'm going to undoubtedly have to get hold of that one because I haven't <laughs> I haven't read the... It's the, really creepy, really it? creepy. I mean, I haven't read it. I think I read it the year it came out, which I think is about 2012. Um, so it's been a while. But, um, yeah, it was just... It's, it's just really well-written horror. Yeah. And you think, I love it that she can do that, that she can, you know, write all of these books that think through the nature of time and history and memory and myth. And then she'll turn around and say, here, horror. Yeah, and, mm. and I, th- I think there is that. I think what's also there is that you, there is this really um, sort of profound awareness of this ideal author type. Yes, that is there. You know, in 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 the ethos of of you know sort of the late twentieth, early you know sort of twenty first century, um, and it's going to be something that she completely tears down mm. uh, and reminds us that you know sort of um you know Shakespeare was 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 just paid you know yeah, as a paid he was a working work. yeah, guy yeah. A, a worker that there that, that throughout time you know that there there isn't that la-di-da mm. author out there um that is Some the ideal being you know who exists it, above us all yeah no the, yeah. The, there is this this sort of working author who is that marvelous mix of um you know sort of the the earthy the profane and the brilliant mm. you know sort of the, the the inspired but also the the, the sort of the sleeves rolled up um yeah. working Yeah, the kind of author who can just all of a sudden write a book about her favorite Christmas recipes and the the decorations and games that she likes to play at Christmas. Because she's not scared about her reputation. She's She's not not scared scared about about her reputation. Other other writers would be worried that that would make them seem too, you know, I don't know, downgrade or you know, too too popular. But she's not scared. She just writes. You know, I really like Christmas. It might be uncool, but I'm going to write. What I, I like about Christmas. I, what I like, like about Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Like I like making fruitcake at Christmas. I like singing this song. And I like these decorations. And this is my favourite Christmas story. And why not? Who cares? That's and something moreover, I like. it's yeah. once again putting another nail in that sort of fantasy idea mm. of, of what an author should mm. do. Yes. And I think that's, you know, I, I think that's Winterson. Mm. She's so great in, in person. If you ever get an opportunity to see her in person, I, I've seen her at the Sydney Writers Festival a few times, and she just talks. She has no notes. She's done, I mean, she may have done kind of prep behind the scenes, but she just talks off the cuff. Um and she just, you eat out of her hands. I remember seeing her talk just for an hour and a half in the Opera House. And she just came out, casual, jeans, T-shirt, just had a natter with us. And she's got such a beautiful accent and, and she's just such an expressive speaker. And again, there was that missionary kind of, you know, she was just zeal, zeal yeah, there and yeah, like yeah. getting the audience in by just telling us random stories about her life. It was amazing. I've never been so transfixed by somebody who appeared to be just talking off the cuff and in, just yeah. yeah and then there was like interspersed in these stories about her life there was she was talking about like how she she got in trouble for putting a banana in her handbag 
to, to eat at the <laughs> airport and like customs got cranky at her, blah, blah, blah. Like really, really. Like, she's a storyteller. She's and, a storyteller. That's that's that's, isn't that the essence yeah. of, of, of storytelling is is, is the, the, the person who can sit down and, and make banana in the handbag story. Yeah, like she can talk about Shakespeare and, you know, fundamentalist Christianity and then she can also say, and hey, wasn't it super annoying when Australian customs wouldn't let me eat my banana? Yeah. <laughs> Which is true. It's very annoying. Um, so, yeah, she's just wonderful. Um, I think we've actually completely run out of time. Um, the door is going to be broken down any second now by other people who want to um, record their bon mots. Um, thank you, Michelle, for bringing Jeanette Winterson to the podcast. I think this has been super fun. Oh, Stephanie, the pleasure is mine. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so if you're looking for a book to read, you can really, really do no worse than, um, than Jeanette Winterson. Yeah. Go and read her. Um, all right, so this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. Um, if you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be very, very useful. Um, tell your friends, tell your mum, get your, get everybody you know listening to the podcast. We love you listeners. Uh, if you've got any suggestions too or recommendations or things we should read or shows that we should do in the future, you can just pop us a line um, at the contact us box on fromthelighthouse.org and we'll see you again in a week. Bye. <laughs>